startup for startup. Sharing knowledge, experience and insights from one startup to another. Hi, I'm Danny Lester. Thanks for joining this special episode. Yeah, I said special episode. This episode is different from the previous episodes you can find in our feed. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation Leo Krengel, head of the Startup for Startup initiative, had in early 2020 with Roy Mann and Iran Zinman, Monday's founders. They talked about company culture, or more specifically, the decisions and actions that define culture. You won't find any sound effects or me navigating between different interviewees like in previous episodes, but you will find some interesting insights that might help you understand the meaning of company culture and, more importantly, how to apply it in practice. I'll see you soon in the format you're used to, and until then, enjoy. Together with me are Aran Zinman and Rayman, co-founders at Monday.com, and we're going to talk today about culture. So we'll start by discussing and describing what is culture in our perspective, and the second part will be dedicated to the six values that are at the very core of our culture here at Monday.com. So what is culture for you guys? I think, first of all, culture is, is um, I see it as our one single most important asset in the company. And that's what defines all the decisions we make on a daily basis. The culture we have is what, uh, what people do, the deci- how they think, the decisions they make, all these uh, things. And I think like even before going deep into answering that, we need to understand that every company has culture. It's like it's not a thing that we either have or don't have. It's like every company makes decisions, everyone, like every company has a lot of people and those people behave in a, in a, in a certain manner, okay? And what works for some person uh, will not work for someone else. And then people find, you know, that they fit for a company, they like working there, or they feel comfortable operating in that company. And that's the culture. Eran, what's culture for you? It's easier for me to define what culture is uh, by saying what it's not. Um, it's not a poster on the wall. I've seen a lot of companies... Uh, Do that, like sit down and try to figure out what they want their culture to be. And then they print a bunch of posters on the wall. And then it, it's the reality and the, what's written on that poster is not the same thing. And people call bullshit like super easy. Because um, at the end of the day, and this is where I get to what culture is, uh, culture is how you act. How you act on your day-to-day, uh, on small decisions. Uh, how you act on bigger decisions, um, what kind of role model uh, you are and the managers and everybody else in the company are to new people that join a company. Um, and, and people see that in, in minutes and in line or join in line. But at the end of the day, it's about action. Let's go one level deeper. What are the actions? If I want to understand what's the culture in a company, what do I look at? Some things are, are felt when you walk in the door. How people treat you, how they treat each other, those kind of things are more obvious. 
but the things that are less obvious and are actually it defines a lot is uh, as Netflix put it it's like the who you hire who you promote and who you fire is the places that you you are measured uh, uh, the most uh, I can give an example it's like you have a if you meet in an interview a, a super talented person like can really push things forward but you understand they don't really work well in a team they will put others down and you know take credit I don't know like you understand it's We not all a understand fit. that kind of person yeah, yeah. not a fit for the team and you choose to take them anyway because uh, it'll promote you in the short term okay and you don't see the longer term then that's a decision you made and that's what will define the the future of the culture and as you have more people like that this will be the culture less teamwork more ability yeah and I just want to add because when you're saying it now it sounds like you're been you're judging this kind of decision and for some companies these are the people that they need like this is what they want um, yeah for some projects for some like it's not like right or wrong that we're trying to say here uh, you're right but I, I am judging how, yeah. <laughs> no, so talk about it because uh, First of all, like you can look at it and, and maybe it's a personal perspective, okay? I think and, and that's like our belief here. And you know there are a lot of researchers that show that as well, that a team works better when everyone is pushing towards the same direction. No one likes working in a place where uh, they don't feel comfortable in, they don't feel they contribute, and you have like someone that is like, Constantly saying no, right. that they're now, great. Now you're okay? painting a different picture. Uh, all I'm saying is that like for, let me try and be very concrete, maybe early stage of a startup, you don't have teams formed, formed yet. You need someone just to take something and push it forward and you found an excellent person and you know that later they might not be the best team people. You might make the decision on that day and later on, two years later, you'll never hire this person because it won't fit anymore. Okay, but then... Uh... So in that place, I'm not judging, and I think a lot of uh, managers, leaders learn along the way what they uh, are willing to carry on their backs and what they are not. Uh, okay? And, and it sometimes is hard, because at the end, like uh, let's say two years in, they figure out, you know what? That's like hurting us. They might need to fire that person because uh, they hurt every other person on the team, okay? So, It's like a tough call towards like different day like either I keep hurting everyone they come in the morning and it's like someone sucks all the uh, oxygen out of the air or uh, I hurt them by firing them or sometimes it's a positive thing for everyone but mm-hmm. you know so you end up owning and getting the results of the decisions you made and I think that's part of shaping the culture. The decision you make and the mistakes you learn from and and where you want to uh, show yourself but at the end it's the, the culture are the people like the people in the company are the culture it's not like uh, you it's not the poster on the wall it's not like only management it's everyone together and that's what gets shaped I like to look at it um, from a perspective of a new person joining the company and as a new person joining uh, imagine that you Uh, you walk into the office and you're very alert about everything how people greet you uh, what's the atmosphere are people smiling um, what's what's the dynamics like uh, in a meeting room 
Um, What's the information that is yeah. being given to you? Are yeah. people being transparent? Yeah. Are you talking about problems? Is it very, um, you know, based on hierarchy or people uh, get to say and argue in front of their manager? Mm-hmm. A lot of small details that dictate to you as a person because people adjust. People, most of the people, assuming that, you know, during the interview process, we identify that this person is a good fit for the company. And I agree with the saying that there isn't a good culture or a bad culture. There is a culture and there's people that fit the culture and there's some people that might not fit the culture. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're, they're you know, bad, bad in, yeah. any, in any way. Um, it's just a matter of fit. Uh, but I think that people, when they actually, you know, are in the company for a few days, a few weeks, obviously there's things you, you find, you know, after a few months, uh, they get all the small details And then they know if, you know, this is a culture that the, the, cult- the culture that actually happens uh, matches the culture that the company kind of says it has. How is the culture formed? So we said one way is for people to sit down and, and think about it and then just, you know, tell it, communicate it to everyone else. What, what was our case? Look, I think uh, hiring and firing and, and, and uh, promoting people is a huge part of it, but... Uh, I think some of it is is based on the character of the people that start a company mm-hmm. uh, which is the founders but also the founding team so is you can still say ties to the people you hired I always say that uh, the first 20 15 20 people um, has a huge effect on the culture of the company not just the founders uh, those people play a very significant role in shaping the 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 culture of the company and and looking back um, at us as a company back in the days we didn't sit down and, and said look let's try to define our culture we just acted in a very specific way uh, that made sense for us and then later on we found out that we had a culture uh, so it was very genuine genuine uh, you could say uh, we acted how we believed that we should act and it was true to our values and And then uh, people started to say, "Oh, you guys have a you know good culture or, or identifying things that we should fix." Um, and then we start we did like a reverse engineering process where we try to kind of normalize that and say what our culture is. Is a culture essential for success, like for the success of the company? Culture is is required for you to be successful, uh, but I would say having only a good culture is not an indication for a successful company. You might have an amazing culture, but the company will fail. Uh, but I think that every company that is successful, thanks to you know, a brilliant product, an opportunity in the market, whatever it is, if it doesn't have a good culture, um, it won't last. Yeah. So again, we're saying good or bad, but I think like good is a, for a specific market or industry. So for us, as an example, I always feel fortunate that every... person here because of the scale it's a cloud software it's like we build the company around the product and we care mostly about the product that every person can make a massive impact about on the company uh, on their own like it's not true for every industry that any persons that joins the company can change something that makes like I don't know 10% increase in uh, conversion to pain like mm-hmm. it's not and, and here it happens a lot. I don't think there's like an absolute measurement of, you know, this company has a good culture, this company doesn't have a good culture. I think uh, having a good culture is a culture where, you know, the management team can look at the company and say, this is what we intended to build. Where I think a bad culture is when you look at the company, you've been frustrated 
you know, this is what not what I wanted. This is not how I wanted to move things forward. Uh, but this is what we have. And then there's a, a huge sense of frustration. And the same goes for everybody else in the company, where they feel, you know, the company says it has X and Y. I want to be a part of it or I don't want to be a part of it. I think, like, if you look at it from a business perspective, okay, or, like, from a success perspective, as you said, it's, is the culture here fit to meet the challenges Okay, of what we're going to face. You can look at other, let's say, cultures of people climbing the Everest. Okay, they need to be of a certain type of, of like mentality to be able to go through that. So I think in, uh, let's say, startups in the beginning, uncertainty is definitely something you need to uh, work with. While in other uh, industries, like uh, yeah. certainty is what you need to work with. So Right. Uh, Different levels of resilience. Yeah, yeah. so success comes... For the right fit of culture to the right challenge. So with that in mind, um, and again, like just to make the point clear that we don't think there's one way to think about culture. This was just our beliefs and our perspective on it and to give it a framework. And now let's just start to describe and discuss the different The six different areas that we define I don't I wouldn't even call them values again it's it's more of compasses that we have and we hold yeah, but but let's uh, understand how we got to them like we looked back into what we did and made decisions to and said like okay this is something we believe in obviously because we've done so many things to support it right so let's formalize it now yeah and now yeah. like we're in a stage in the company that we're big enough that we need to formalize it so uh, we are able to think with it it's like uh, this is creating a language so we, we're not hanging it on the wall but we are trying to define recording it recording it on a podcast <laughs> exactly yeah it's part of the uh, onboarding yeah, process yes. it's something for the scale that we are now that we want to kind of like that we took the time to think about it and, and be intentional about many things uh, more than we've been until now yeah intentional is a good one I think The way we're going to work with it now is describe each of the values or of the areas and give as many examples as possible because the point here is not just to keep it philosophical and have a high-level conversation, but really understand how things manifest in day-to-day. As we said, culture is what we do, not what we talk about. So we're going to throw as many examples as possible um, on each area. So for us, culture um, in Monday.com is ownership, um, inclusion, Um, being product-centric, uh, being customer-centric, uh, being impactful, and doing things with a certain speed. Actually, I think the first one we started with and uh, that w- was clear for us is product-centric. Like we started from the point that we wanted to make a great product, products people love, uh, this is where we, we started off before we did anything. Uh, Um, because we figured like that this uh, industry of uh, let's say uh, work work tools needed something that people like using like you know uh, on your personal life and uh, consumer style products and this is kind of like where our passion started for it and we said how and, and I, I remember like all the decisions we've made since the beginning was around, How do we put ourselves in the position as a company that we will be forced to create a good product? So I'll give an example. So in the pricing, in the early pricing that we set, we didn't do a free tier and we didn't want to do sales. 
in the beginning. Why? Because uh, we knew that if you started to have a really successful salesperson, they will sell things you don't have, and then it will be something that a good deal, a big deal, and you'll feel compelled to create those features that they promised. And that for us, like this kind of way to create a product, it's not the best way to create a good product people love. It's a way to create a good sellable product. So we wanted in the beginning uh, not to have that. What I'm learning from what you said now is that um, decisions is a good framework to look at your culture. So you just said, okay, how do I know that I'm product-centric? The decisions I have to make around that will have to, to be in, aligned with like, what I want my product to be, mm-hmm. right? And, and if you made a different decision, then it's not your culture anymore. So that's like if for anyone who's listening like to ask, what decision do I have to make? And then if I take a left or a right, now I know what's yeah. the culture and, I and picked. And it's not a one decision. Like one decision is kind of like a small step into the future decisions. And if you either make a mistake, it's fine. You can correct your course. But if you keep going down a certain path, you okay, know that if you make a mistake, you need to first understand that it's a mistake. Culture. So yeah, that's my point. Like yeah, 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 understanding it's a mistake, that's already a huge, huge, huge step towards correcting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, if you step uh, uh, enough time towards a certain direction, that's it. This is who you are. Right, right. And then you need like a massive amount of energy to change To course. change, yeah. And it's again, not mistake or not a mistake all the time. It's like change the culture course. You have, it's yes. what you, what, and this is, by the way, what makes a company fit for a certain area. And then the conditions in the market change and their culture is not fit to handle that mm-hmm. sometimes. And on what other decisions have we made in the past to support uh, our culture of being product-centric? So we touched on a, on a big decision that we made, but I think a huge part of it is, is about a lot of small decisions that we make. Um, everybody here in the company, first of all, it's the type of, hi- of people we hired. Uh, the developers that we hired and the product people that we hired and the designers that we hired, uh, when we interview them, we look for people who have empathy toward users that care about user experience, that care about the actual people that will use the product. And that's a cr- critical part of that. Um, and then, you know, during every discussion, every time we had to make a product decision, you know, should we do this or that, we never look at what will maximize revenue, what will, um, you know, make people buy the product more. We always ask what's going to be better for our users, uh, what's going to be more delightful for them, um, how can we make this experience better for them? How can we make the product more beautiful? Uh, and and how can we minimize the amount of work that people do in order to get value uh, from the product? So a lot of decisions, a lot of discussions around that uh, really shaped how people think about uh, features and how they deliver new stuff into the product today. Um, and also, I think a huge part of that is the fact that our success as a company, our main KPI is, is WAP, which is Weekly Active Paying People. And I think this is a message uh, for everybody in the company. is a huge thing to say the product is the most important part of it. Uh, we want our customers to use the product and enjoy using it on their day-to-day. So I think this is very tied together with another value that we talk about, which has been customer-centric. So why, why don't you just continue to the next one? Yeah, and I, I think that customer-centric and the product-centric uh, is like... Uh, a the product has is a reflection. Yeah, yeah, the product, uh, Monday the company and Monday the product is uh, with the same value. So 
like uh, we had like some examples of uh, like bureaucracy in the product like I tell you in the UI like uh, don't go here go go there because it's like why we don't want that so that's also within the company itself we don't want those things at the end a lot of our uh, values in the company yeah went into the product itself and uh, customer centric is also something we've decided in the very early beginning that we wanted people as part of the product to feel that there are people behind the product that we're not just like you know letting them deal with it and like there are no people behind and we saw like we chose deliberately that uh, the support and customer success and everything we do around that is not a, a problem we need to solve it's like something we believe in we want to do we want to talk with customers we want to help them solve their problems and I think it shows and and, and to, to like this is the decision we've made in the beginning we hired the right people and then we ended up with uh, that team building like the best KPIs for customer success in the industry we answer within 10 minutes on average we try uh, to exceed what they expect and really help and we care about that at all uh, like every problem they have so um, so I think that's something we kind of like, that's the fruits of making that investment Early. in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, it's also investment, like you'd say, in money, in hiring, and like being intentional about it. But it started with a, with a value, because otherwise we wouldn't make that investment. The way I look at it is that at the end of the day, we want our customers to be satisfied and to have a feeling of trust. Uh, to feel there's a person on the other side that have somebody to talk with and they're not left alone with their problems, uh, either with the product or with their own company, uh, their own processes. We, we wanted want to feel this, you know, Monday is, is, a, is a person they can talk with, you know, anytime at night, uh, during the weekends, whatever they want. Um, so we build the company in a very specific way that the message that we deliver to everybody here in the company is you know, we invest in this, we want to hire as many people as we need, and we want to do what's best for the customer, not what's best for saving costs or uh, optimizing our, um, you know, bottom line as a company. And can you give an, a specific example of a decision we had to make that can really show that we are, cost, like for us, customer-centric? You know, a few examples of, of apart from the fact that we want to answer it in, in a very short time, we want to be available 24-7, is also the way we, we coach people in customer success and in sales. And one of the main messages that we say to everybody that joins the company uh, is, listen, if you are in a customer success team and somebody reach out because they're not using the product anymore and they want to get a refund, even though they don't qualify in the 30-days uh, refund policy, uh, let's do that because we want them to be satisfied. Even if they're not a customer anymore, it's not just about customers we look at it as a long-term relationship that we create with them. Everybody is an ambassador of the company and the product. And the same goes for the sales team. Uh, part of how we coach people in the sales team is never sell uh, um, something to a customer that they don't need. So never suggest a tier that they don't need. Never suggest more users that they don't need. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's a long-term play. And we want them to be happy. And we... Uh, in a way, optimize what's good for the customer over what's, you know, short-term might be good for the company.
Yeah, I think this um, ties really nicely to, to ownership. Ownership, yeah. Let's take it there. If I had to put it in one sentence, is to give people the power and ability to make their own decisions. Um, now we're talking about our team, just to make it clear, right? So we talked about our customers. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about ownership that people uh, within Monday has uh, to make decisions, make mistakes, make decisions, basically decide on their own. And um, and move, by the way, just behave. Yeah, in order to move forward. Yeah. This is, this is uh, you know, it's a tool in order to move forward uh, faster uh, on their own and take ownership and, and uh, the responsibility uh, for what they do. And I think this, you know, is a very strong uh, value for us in the company. Wherever you are, you might be in R&D, sales, marketing, wherever you are, our goal is that you will have autonomy to make your own decisions, make your own mistakes, uh, and be able to be successful on your own. Um, and, and, and for us, you know, it's a critical part of the company when it was small, but I think it's become more, even more critical as we scale the company because I think what slows company down as companies scale is the fact that decisions need to go up in order to, for people to move forward. And it's always bureaucracy. It's always, you know, slower this way. And it's less empowering because you feel it's not up to you. And somebody else made the decision, and you just need to comply. Um, so the way we build the company, the way we structure it, the way we we use measurements and KPI, is to enable everybody in the company to make their own decisions, good or bad. Uh, and the and the message that we convey here is, we trust you. You know, we hire good people, and we trust you. Um, you know, some people manage huge budgets in marketing. Some people. Um, you know, can deploy quota affects all users and some people can make decisions for huge customers. But the message is we trust you and we give you the tools to make your own decisions. And that's like actually autonomy, which is a big part of ownership. And I can give like an example, another example of ownership, which would be like uh, what is not ownership. Like if I'm doing something that someone else thinks is right and I, I disagree, but I have to do it, then... In the beginning, in a conversation, a meeting, whatever, like uh, I might think I understand what they wanted, but at the end, when I come to uh, a decision that I need to make, I wouldn't know what to do. I'll be dependent on them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if someone told me, like, do this because I know what's right, and they didn't persuade me, they didn't explain, they didn't get me to be on their side, they took the ownership away from me. And that's a very negative thing for us. So, like, if uh, so, so the way we built a lot of the things we do around here is around, uh, and I know it's a different value. It's like inclusion, but in order to get ownership. Like, I need to persuade you. I need to uh, explain what I want for everyone to be aligned, so they can take it from me. Yeah. And I would. So a lot of time I'll give an example for like where do you make mistakes all the time and it took me a while to get the hang of it. Like we talk about something, everyone get excited, great, we go and do it. And then they come to me with a question and I answer it. Boom. Like they didn't understand the answer, but they thought, okay, it's, it's like probably good and went on and do it. And then I become the bottleneck. Every time they like uh, need something from me, then they come to me, they need to come to me, and I become the bottleneck, I own it. Or I see they're going down a path that I think is wrong, and that's hard for managers. Like, let's say I have more experience, I know how to help them, 
what is the difference between guiding someone and helping them evolve and learn between telling them what to do? For me, ownership is one of the biggest things here at Monday. I, I know I had a big transition to go through when I came here. So just to share my perspective, two things that to add to, to everything uh, you guys said. First, that it's across the board. Um, it can be a person in the company for two weeks that are now owners of something and they can make and gather the information they need and, and make other people work whether they're in the company for five years, whether they're the VP of something. So if you're an owner of something, you're the person to drive it happen. And, and I think this is something that really crosses all hierarchies and, and departments. It doesn't matter if this person you're going to work with or, or make someone give you something. They might be from a different department and you've never talked to them in the past. You're an owner of a project, you're going to make it happen. Um, and, and it comes also with a very big sense of responsibility. And I think that it's very confusing in the beginning when you are an owner or something doesn't mean you're doing it your, on yourself and by yourself and alone. You can be a part of like 10 people team, but this meeting that you described before Ray, that everyone's talking about something and we leave the room. So the way at Monday to make it happen is that someone will look at someone else and say, so you're the owner, right? Like someone's looking at someone and making sure that there's someone that will go to sleep at night and care about it. Because if we're all just talking in the room and we live it together equally, it's not going to happen. You're right. So it became a language. So it, it is a language, right? And, and it takes some time to really understand that when you're an owner, it doesn't mean that you're the only person out of the 10 people in the room that's going to make anything happen about this project. But you're the one who's not going to sleep at night if it doesn't happen. And, and going back to Aaron's point that it comes with trust. Like sometimes, again, I, I see it many times when there's a new person to the team but they're an owner of something and, and you don't know how they're going to execute and you got to trust them yeah. um, on big stuff. Uh, and, and that's why I think in many areas that we can, we build like a confidence level within people. We give them ownership on something that is like small and can be guided and, and okay. And then like bigger and bigger things. Because like, again, that has to do with scale. Like uh, for something that someone uh, used to do when we were uh, smaller, it made a certain impact on a certain number of customers that we could fix or solve or whatever. And now, like they might deploy something and, uh, you know, like uh, hundreds of thousands of people are out of a tool that they work with every day for like, I don't know, five minutes. That's, two seconds. Or yeah. two, it's like... Uh, not we, acceptable. We're, yeah. Not acceptable. So. Right. How do we build a level of confidence and how do we do it gradually? So we need the system to support it. We need to think about those things when we hire people. What are the stages they will go through in that area? We need to invest a lot of energy into maintaining our ability to keep ownership for people right. and train them into the place that they are. Because we had a few years to ramp up to this situation. They need to ramp up to this situation in a month. So how do we do that within a month? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it requires a lot of energy. The next one would be inclusion. Yeah, so I think um, when we talk about inclusions, there are uh, a few parts of that. Uh, one huge thing is transparency, uh, which is something that we believe in as a company. We mentioned a few times before in our podcast, but in essence, it means that everything uh, in the company is transparent to everybody. Uh, when we say everything, we mean everything. Uh, one exception, which is people's salaries. Apart from that, everything is is transparent. Um, you know, numbers, 
revenue numbers, how much we spend on marketing, um, conversion rates, everything you can think of. Company valuation. Money in the bank. Yeah, money in the bank. How much Board meetings. Spend. Board yeah, meetings. Everything. Uh, so that's one part uh, that contributes towards inclusion because people feel they know the numbers, they know the metrics. Not just feel, but actually know. Second part of that um, is the fact that we try not um, to lend decisions top to bottom. So it ties to ownership, which we discussed, so people can make their own decisions. But even uh, when we try to kind of move stuff from, you know, when we try to make decisions for management, we always try to involve people. Uh, we always try to say, and this not just us as founders, it's every person in the management team and every manager and everybody else in the company try to explain the reasoning behind uh, what we do and why we think this is the uh, what we should do. And even then, we always ask, what do you think? Right. Like, um, do you believe in that? Do you have a different idea? It's the whole way of presenting ideas, discussion, discussions with people, and the sentiment of, um, you know, everybody's equal. My opinion is as good as yours. Hierarchy doesn't matter here. Everybody is smart. Everybody have good ideas. So we want to include everybody. Right. And, and I think this even goes, um, you know, behind the company itself. Uh, we also try to treat the same way with our customers. So, you know, one, one interesting example, which I remember is when we rebranded the company. So we changed the name of the company. Yeah, yeah, we changed the name of the company from the Pulse to Monday. And, and then we said, how can we include our customers? We don't want them to hear this from a press release one day on, on you know, one of the news websites. Uh, we wanted to know, even if it's a few days before. So we actually involved them in the process. We said, you know, we thinking about rebranding. These are the options we're thinking about. What do you think? What's the feedback that you have? And we kind of risked something because they might have, you know, leaked the fact that we're going to change the name or uh, it won't be a surprise anymore. But we said, fuck it. Like, we want them to feel part of it because, you know, they are part of it. Uh, and we notify them a few days before. And and I think this this kind of show one example of, you know, how you can include your customers as well and for them to be, be part of what you're going through. Two more details. Uh just to add to what Iran said before. So first, a quick example of how we give rationale to everything we do. So even in a feature update that is uh, that is shared with the company, it starts with a rationale, with a test that was made with the reasons we have to think that this is something that is going to be meaningful to our customers. It's never like, hey guys, here's an update, here's a future, here's a new feature, go and find out why. Um, Everyone has to understand the reasoning behind something and so that they can actually come with ideas and, you know, and, and become part of it, I think. The second thing about transparency that I like a lot is that um, it puts aside or it puts outside the door this dynamics of like thinking what each person knows in the company. Like if you sit in one room and you go to a different room, you can talk in the same way you just talked now. There are no like no hundreds politics. of versions of things and politics. Yeah, there's like everyone knows one thing and this is what we're discussing and you don't have to keep in your mind like 
different versions of stories it for different people. It goes to many lengths because uh, we don't have uh, two budgets. Right. Like one for uh, the company and one, one for, for the board. The board right. and one for, like we have one truth uh, in every, and, and that's like kind of, I think It's around very data and information, there yeah. is a lot of politics that are from who knows what and who's where. And like once you get that out of the way, you win a lot of things. Right. But it's hard. You're, uh, as Iran says all the time, you're being challenged all the time because people know everything as they happen when, uh, a right. lot of times before you know. So why is that happening? Like, I don't know. So on the other hand, it's like, I, uh, we don't know. Let's figure it out together and people take ownership on understanding because mm-hmm. like we are not in charge of coming with the answers. And I say we, I say like it's, Throughout the management of the company in every level, like go figure it out. You have the same tools as I do. You know, help me figure it out. Which brings me to the last point. We take it for granted. Aran, can you talk about big brain in the context of transparency and inclusion, which is a very big effort we have in the company? What we do in order to be transparent um, is a lot of things. Uh, we have dashboards around the office showing metrics and numbers. Uh, we have a daily SMS sent each morning to everybody in the company. including our investors, by the way. It shows all the numbers from yesterday. And the huge part of it is BigBrain, which, which is our internal BI tool, um, that all the information is av- available to everybody in the company, no permissions, no special screens, everybody sees the same thing, and everybody has access. So basically all the information is not just that it's been transparent, it's also been accessible for everybody to uh, consume in a very easy way. Uh, on a day-to-day basis. So it, it ties to a larger subject of like transparency. It's not enough that the information is available. It has to be consumed. It has to be right. like, uh, you know, uh, accessible in a way that people can understand and not just like uh, here is a file somewhere in the, you know, these folders are public. So we need to in, in put a lot of energy in to explaining it to people. And then as the company scales, there are, Just too many things and details to the extent that we support an internal initiative that is called data school to make yeah. sure that everyone knows how to use the internal tools we built yeah. right and, and this is just again it's a lot of energy and time that people spend and we as a company you as a as, as founders you support to make sure that this happens yeah that's inclusion by the way like the data school is a, is a great initiative that was not like a was started by a designer yeah. a product person and a programmer and like a developer uh three amazing women that just right pitched it to you and you guys said yeah go do it of course uh, of course uh, no but this of course is part of the culture you know really yeah. like let's stop and understand that because they spent a lot of time working on that and And then they spend a lot of time training people in the company to know how to work with data. So it, it's more inclusion than transparency because they wanted to include everyone and that were not, they did not come with the background of uh, data analysis and writing SQL queries and like really querying data. Like what I said in, uh, before, like there is a problem, figure it out. Do you have the same tools as I do? So you have access to the same tools, but right. you might not know how to use them. Okay. Uh, and that's the idea behind the data school. So it's like, to me, it ties, after you have transparency, this is like more the inclusion part. And wait, and, and I think you touched on something else that is interesting to add, 
which is the price you pay when you choose a value. And, and, and there's another example I remember for transparency is that on our last round that we raised money, some investors were just, some people actually were just walking around the office, happened to talk to press, and the fact that we were raising money was leaked to the press, to the Israeli press, way, way too early. And we were not ready for that in any kind of way, and the information wasn't even right. And I remember how we said, and we tracked things back, and we said, okay, it happened because we let people walk around the office and they hear everything and everyone knows everything and there are no secrets. And this is a price we are willing to pay, right? Like, this, yep. is, this is the conclusion we got to. Next will be impact. What's impact, guys? Yeah, so I think um, this is, this is uh, kind of ties everything together, but... Um, the message here is that we as a company, um, this is what we optimize for. We optimize for, we want people to make an impact. And imp- impact is a very vague, vague term, like what is impact? It, it might be different things to different people. Uh, for somebody in R&D, it might be a new feature that they launched that um, you know, impacted a lot of users. Uh, for somebody in the growth team, it might be that they improve a metric or the product team. Uh, for somebody themselves, it might be that they closed a huge deal uh, that we never had before, or a new industry that uh, a customer from a, a new industry that we didn't have before. Uh, but it might be also be internal. So it might be somebody from customer success who improved one of the processes and made you know sixty people ten percent more efficient. Or someone from the operations finding the next office and yeah. enabling our growth. Bottom line, the way I I describe it is that you made something meaningful. That change the company, and I think the change part is is very important because the message here is that we want you to change, to change who we are, change our abilities, change the value that we give to our users, uh, as opposed to uh, being very static as a company, saying you know this is what it is, and you need to fill your role. We say the opposite. Uh, we want to change. We want to adopt. We want to uh, be better all the time, and the way we guide you is that you need to try and think what you can do in your own domain or even outside your domain in order to make such a change. And, and to support that, like, uh, and you say like change and only so what or everyone here, someone needs to uh, do a lot of work all the time in areas. So how do you know what impact is or not? So the answer is... Is it hard work? That's what you're saying. Is impact... Also hard, hard work. work. So like you might do something uh, that changed like, uh, I don't know, 10% in the, uh, reduces the number of tickets in 10% or you don't do it and answer a lot of tickets. But I don't think people can understand how to reduce it by 10% without answering a lot of tickets. Like you need to really work hard and... And, and walk and, the and, walk. Uh, but the moment you recognize something, uh, we want people to be able to to make a change and, and make that impact. And that's uh, what we're optimizing for. Another perspective on that is like uh, time. Like everyone can work really hard along hours. We don't believe in that. Like working long hours to achieve something, uh, you need to be fresh and smart and make smart decisions. That's like way better. And something I learned throughout time uh, with my work in, in Monday and, and even before is that are 24 hours in the day, okay? Surprise. And, <laughs> surprise. But, but like if I work harder to achieve more, there is a limit to that, okay? Like I can, I can do that. I can like, uh, let's say, 
work really, really hard and accomplish more. But there will be a limit to that. And now my question is, am I going to be on the edge of like my exhaustion all the time that I need to let things go? Or if I understand that I need to let things go because I have limited resources one person in terms of time, then why not st- take a step backward? Okay, and then why not take a step backward? Like I can be smarter a step ahead and save my time to be able to, uh, uh, you know, if I choose the right things mm-hmm. to work on. If I don't just like go through the motion of what I did yesterday and I rethink it all the time and, and try it out. And there are people who are really good at it and there are people who need to learn it and like need to. And I, I've been to those places in life where I needed to put myself in the exhaustion mm-hmm. period to understand that this is not what's helping me. Okay, like we, uh, like uh, for developers, uh, we have, uh, uh, it's a joke, like uh, after uh, 6 p.m. you write the bugs that you need to solve in the next morning. So it doesn't really help you to, to stay to push up. It now. Yeah, because yeah. like you're, yeah. you're just uh, hurting yourself. So. so for me, it's very clear that um, impact comes, it doesn't come necessarily from hard work. You can do something very small and very smart and it can be impactful, but mm-hmm. it must be doing like... The one underlying thing that I learned here about impact is that if you sit in a room and you talk all day and you understand your fears and the limits and the cost of things, this is never going to create any impact. And you're not going to understand, by the way, what's really limiting you if you just talk about it. So I think that to coach people on impact, the first thing we tell them, go and do. Like from the first day onboarding time, take a task and just do it. Like don't succeed, don't. Don't think, just go and, and find out what it is that you need to make it happen. And I think this is where people start understanding that it's not motion, as you said before, Roy. It's not like, oh, I'll be busy all the time and this is impactful. No, it's uh, not. And it's not like uh, don't succeed. It's like don't try to avoid failure yes. by uh, thinking a lot and planning. Just do things. Yeah. Don't freeze because you don't Fail, know what's the next thing to like do. Because like planning, and again, that's true for our industry. Again, aviation don't plan, think, and then, uh, you know, like a plane crashes and then you learn something not good. For us, we're no, able I, to I do that. I don't think it's black and white. I don't think we ever say don't plan. I, we just say don't sit all day and plan and don't think that you're going to make impact yeah. out of that, right? Yeah. And that brings us to the next uh, value point, which is speed that ties really closely to, to impact. Uh, we see speed in everything that we do as a value like again like uh, if if you took the, the last example like i can do things faster like or invest less time if i think smarter so it has to do speed is important for the product the first thing like it needs to load fast it needs to be really quick like i would do a hundred more things with any system if it's really fast rather than wait even three seconds between clicks so that's the value there and it has to do also uh, within what we do like uh, what you said like do things so the speed of from an idea or something i want to do to the actual beginning of the execution right okay so like what is the length of time that you sit around thinking about something before you did some action because like after the first action you're like a hundred times more informed about problems and the real scenario than you were before so just like right. reducing that gap of starting something is super important and that's 
feet as well. I felt it very much when we started planning conferences for the first time last year. And, and you know, like people had this immediate reaction of, ah, let's plan it for six months. Why? Just because, you know, you plan big conferences for a long time, like weddings or something. And then we said, no, let's do it in six weeks. And, and the result would have been just as good. That's the point. We did it in six weeks. We learned what we needed to do. So for the next one that will happen in six no- months, now we are more knowledgeable and, and we moved and we actually made impact. So I agree that speed is something at the essence of everything we do. And we try sometimes to push also, I think. Right? Yeah, we yeah, do challenge it. that on the edges. Yeah, I, th- I think it also, um, you know, one of our beliefs is that um, in order to be successful as a company, you need to move fast. And moving fast is having, you know, high volume of execution. And at the end of the day, you need to deliver fast. You need to fix bug fast. Everybody appreciates when you're fast because what the message you deliver is that I appreciate your time. Uh, and I think the same applies to our customers. Um, and not only that it applies to us as a company and how we operate, we also take this to the product itself. So the value of speed is also something that we try to make sure that the product itself, the time it takes it to load, the how smooth is the scrolling, how fast the system reacts when you click on a button, is very important for us. And it ties to the same value. We respect our customer's time. We don't want any customer of ours to wait uh, for Monday to do anything uh, for them. We want everything to be instant. Because again, the message is, we appreciate your time. We want to be in a position where we save you time and we're not costing you Uh, any delays. Mm-hmm. And I'll give another example of speed that is like really management and how you work uh, is that if you take a long time to plan, you get married with the ideas you have. And then you're more scared of failure. You're more attached. It has uh, people argue more and you're more scared about failure because you invested more time in it. So if you just like start doing something, then people are less married to their idea. It's le- it's easier to let go of things and try them and change, out yeah. and change and work together. Yeah, so You can always blame that you didn't have time to plan. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter because you can just like move forward and do it again. So uh, again, you need to be able to just move forward and be able to do it again, which we are like in anything we do, we see. And, and it's, a, it's a question, like doing billboards or uh, buying ads on the subway. Really, you want to fail at that? So like you... The failure is that you didn't do something as impactful, but you did it and you learned like a hundred different things. And the next one is really amazing. And right. that's what happened for us. Which but connects uh, to something else we say about speed, which is keeping the beat and cadence. I think this is something else. Yeah, it's, a me- it's, it's a method to... So explain what it is. Yeah. So, so basically for almost everything that we would do, we want to have a cadence, uh, which dictates the... Um, The amount of changes that we expect in, in a certain time. So uh, just to give a few examples, we have a cadence where every week we release a new iPhone and Android version. So it kind of sets the mind of people that work on the mobile app that they need to deliver changes in the course of a week. Uh, we expect a certain quarter to deliver X or Y features through the product because this is the cadence that we set for ourselves. We have a biweekly um, uh, iteration planning for our R&D. So all those things kind of set expectations of how many changes do you expect in a specific time frame? And this uh, set the tone for uh, the speed of execution. And, it's and a learnings method. as well. Yeah, and it's a, method, it's a great method to make sure that you keep the same speed that you uh, want to have. 
and and we also invent cadence where it's not so natural right like uh, let's say we have that conference example you gave so we it's a conference uh, you would expect like okay let's list the stuff we need to do everyone do it like we'll see the times that it needs to converge and then see it and then what happens usually is like uh, people are disconnected they're not aligned someone did something it wasn't clear so how do we Where do you me- yeah. where do you understand that people are not aligned and we did something else uh, that we didn't really understand so what we do usually is uh, have like a short time that you had that you said for executing and then meet every day in the morning every day you think everyone and every it's important that everyone on the team uh, understand what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and that's not intuitive no. like What, what do I, I, I do the design? What do I care about the catering? You know, what do I care about the content if I'm doing something else? So you care because you understand more. You understand what other people are doing. You understand the urgency, the importance of what you're doing. So there's a lot of value in, in like creating a beat every mm-hmm. day around execution that you think in that way and that you know that whatever problem or question you have, you're going to ask it tomorrow morning. And have it in the same hour, and it's kind of like creating it's, the beat. It's cadence yeah. and beat, and it, it's like makes d- us. Another example that I that I see is that we have a project called Stories Worth Telling, on which we bring to Israel to our Tel Aviv office um, three customers every month, and we ask them to tell the story and their journey with our product and our platform. And and I think we can all say that we haven't cracked this plat this um, initiative. yet but we insist on bringing them every month and so the team working on that they never stop thinking on how to improve that it's not like something they do once a year and then oh thanks God it's gone and next year I'll think about how to improve it every month they have this cycle of having to go through this thing so it will end up working very very quickly it's a good example because we set it up in a bit And it was hard, and the people that started to do it wasn't here for a long time in the company, and they like they tried to make it perfect, okay, and I tell them like we wouldn't learn the right thing, so let's just do something and we did it within a month, and then we understood like a hundred different problems we didn't think of before uh and some problems we did understand before, but the second one was really good and the third better was better and, third, and better yeah, and yeah, better yeah. because you have a bit I think this is it. Um, we're very much open for any questions, right? Follow-up questions on that. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Aran and Roy, for being here today thank with you, us. Thank you, Leo. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, hit the follow button. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and potential networking. You can find more SVS talks on our website, startupforstartup.com. I want to thank Guy Ben Nunn, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Advashus Gal and Daria Wertheim, who are our content editors. Leo Kringle leads the initiative. Yoa Violon is our opera singer. And Gal Rodity is our mix engineer. I'm Danny Lester. More to come, so stay tuned.